Good to see you guys. I had a dream last night that I would be here and no one else would. Uh, you just don't know the thoughts that Satan puts in your head when you're trying to do something uh, that's out on a limb uh, for, him, for God and make a difference. Uh, the chairs, many of you asked about the chairs. Those aren't the chairs you guys helped purchase. They are on back order. <laughs> Have you heard that lately? So hopefully they'll be here before Easter. Uh, but we're thankful we have something to sit in besides lawn chairs in the park right now. So uh, hopefully you'll enjoy seat, sitting in these till the other ones arrive. I want to show you a mystery that I faced yesterday morning about 7.30 a.m. It's a small picture, but hopefully you can see it. Yeah. That is the ice festival. I pulled up. Well, first I looked outside. Brenna let our dog buckwheat outside yesterday early morning, and the wind was howling, and I said, uh-oh, I got to go. And drove up to the square, and our tent was absolutely destroyed by the neighbor's tent. Uh, we had ours secured with concrete blocks and weights and rope and it doesn't help when another come, tent comes 30 mile an hour into your tent. So the mystery was solved when we, Eric and I unwrapped the puzzle. And we were able to get it back standing. And a little bit of duct tape goes a long way. So it's still there. But it was absolutely frigid yesterday. And a big thank you to those of you who stood out in that cold, passing out chapstick and dog biscuits, uh, all for the purpose of taking someone else to heaven that might not be there. And they go, what's Ice Festival got to do with that? Well, it's a first contact with people, many people, even the vendors around us who do not know Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's what that's all about. So big thank you to those who participated in that and made it happen. Uh, Chris Boone, who made like, I don't know, 400, 500 dog biscuits. Uh, one thing I've learned about Medina is Medina loves dogs. <laughs> they love their dogs. So you'll say chapstick. Would you like some chapstick? No. You have a dog? Yeah, we have a dog. Want a dog? Yeah, we'll take a dog biscuit. I mean, like giving them steak. Uh, they love them so much. Well, the reason I start out with a mystery is because we're going to talk about a text today that Paul talks about a profound mystery. And if you've been married for, for long, you know that marriage can sometimes be a mystery. How did we get here? How do we make it better? How do we find happiness and contentment? How do we revive the intimacy that we once had? And all in that, we realize God really did wire up men and women very differently. Listen to some of these statements that are made between spouses and how the spouse interprets what the other spouse said to them. Here we go. What he heard his wife say. You're way too stupid to be trusted driving alone in bad weather like this at your age. What she actually, what she actually said, drive carefully, dear. <laughs> what she heard her husband say. Anything less than absolute perfection 
makes you an utter failure as a wife and a mother. What he actually said, my mom is coming over for dinner tonight. <laughs> what he heard his wife say, honey, why don't you put your hand, head in a vice and turn, and turn the vice handle until your skull explodes? What she actually said, honey, why don't you turn off the football game and let's just sit and talk for a while. One more. What she heard him say, life as we know it will cease to exist unless you can alter our time schedule. What he actually said, honey, are you almost ready? <laughs> we tend to filter what the other one says by what we want them or think that they said. And it's been said, men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. And man, is that true. God wired us so differently. But some continue to think that God wants us to either be a dictator or a doormat in our marriage. And according to God's word, both of those are wrong. And I need to warn you as we go through this passage today, as we wrap up our study in Ephesians, that this passage of scripture is written to believers in the church of Ephesus. It's hard for believers to accept this passage, let alone for unbelievers to accept what Paul says here, because it can be seen in today's world as a very, very radical, radical section of scripture. But we're going to look at some perspectives that wives need to switch and husbands need to switch in their marriage. And even if you're not married, these principles can help you if someday you do marry or if you give advice to married couples, friends, or family in the future. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Typically, verse 21 is placed separately from the section that deals with marriage. But remember, this is a letter to the church of Ephesus. So it's not in sections. It flows as a letter. So verse 21 is essential to be lined up with the passage on marriage. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You say, well, how does having a submissive spirit revere Christ? Well, it shows that we're accepting God's ordained structure. All the way through the Bible, God has us being submissive in different forms and different ways in the New Testament. Citizens are to be submissive to the government officials in Romans 13. Children are to be submissive to who? Parents, Ephesians 6. Church members are to be submissive to church leaders, Hebrews 13. And in the text we look at today, it speaks of submission within a marriage relationship. So let's look at two areas that husbands need to switch and wives need to switch. And again, before we go there, we can't dig into this without the Holy Spirit guiding and directing and giving us the power to make it happen. That's why verse 21 is there. Let's start with the wives. Perspective switch number one. Think submission, not slavery. Think submission, not slavery. Ephesians 5.22 
says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, ladies, let's be honest. That's probably not a scripture you have stitched on your bathrobe, all right? It's probably not on a plaque that is in your living room of your home. This is a hard, hard verse to understand. Some men have two verses of scripture that they know very well. Jesus wept and wives submit to your husbands, all right? They got those two down. Somewhere along the line, though, we've got the idea that the Bible confirms that a wife's role in marriage is to be attentive to her husband's every need and every wish, to feed him grapes, fan him with a big palm leaf. Guys, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. A wife is not to be her husband's slave. She is to be, as God said, when he created Eve, She is to be a helpmate for Adam, and so is our wife. Men misinterpret this to be some reason for them to be able to call all the shots. Some women misinterpret this to think they have no say, and they bristle against this whole concept in Scripture, saying that's not what the Bible's teaching. Believe it or not, I've even had a couple of women over the years asked me to pull this scripture out of their wedding ceremony. They disagreed with it so much. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Let me attack this lightning rod word, submit. Let's start with what it doesn't mean. John Piper writes, submission does not mean that the husband's word is absolute. Only Christ's word is absolute. No wife should follow a husband into sin. You don't do that. You can't do that in reverence to the Christ. Submission does not mean surrendering thought. It does not mean no input on decisions, no influence on her husband. It does not come from ignorance or incompetence. John Piper goes on, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help him carry it through according to her gifts. And when I get on an airplane, I hope that of the two or three pilots that are in the cockpit of that airplane, I want one of them to be captain, all right? I don't want something to happen as the airplane is flying and no one knows who's calling the shots. There has to be a captain in the cockpit. Same with a football team. The football team gets together in a huddle. They don't always look to the smartest, strongest, biggest person to make the call. They look to who's in charge in the huddle, the quarterback. They look to the quarterback to be able to call the shot for the play that's being made with the whole team's best interest in mind. Now, a wide receiver might not typically think, well, that that should have not been the play, but he's following it anyhow because he knows the quarterback has been given a responsibility to call that play. 1 Peter 3 goes on even to address women who who became Christians in the first century 
but whose husbands were not believers. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, Peter shares wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by your behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your life. In other words, your submission to them, even if they're an unbeliever, can cause them to see Christ in you and accept him. Switch number two. Wives, think devotion, not duty. Say it with me. Think devotion, Paul writes that the wives should submit as unto the Lord. This is a God thing. God doesn't say, wives, submit to your husband if he deserves it. Submit to him because he's such a wonderful guy. Submit to him because he's such a great provider. No, submit to him as unto the Lord. You see, God established the whole family structure as a microcosm of the church. Same, same setup. Guys, this may seem like a slap in the face to you and I, but get this. Technically and scripturally, our wives submit to us out of devotion to God more than devotion to us. Follow me? Our wives submit to us out of their devotion to God. Because it's clearly taught in Scripture that we are to esteem the other one better than ourselves, but only because that is out of our devotion to God. Humility is a goal regardless of the situation in the Christian life. But that's tough. Sometimes in marriage, it's tough to swallow our pride. I love the story of the married couple that had an argument and they ended up giving each other the silent treatment. Anyone ever received the silent treatment from their husband? Yeah, yeah. All right? Ended up giving each other a silent treatment. The husband realized that he needed his wife's help in order to catch a flight to Chicago the next morning for a business meeting. He had to get up at 5 a.m. to catch the flight, and he wasn't a morning person. Not wanting to be the first to break the silence... He chose to write on a piece of paper, please wake me at 5 a.m. and put it on his wife's nightstand beside her. The next morning, the man woke up only to discover his wife was already out of bed and it was 7 a.m. His flight had already departed. He missed that. But he glanced on his nightstand and he noticed a piece of paper that read, yeah, it's 5 a.m., wake up. It's great to have a sense of humor within a marriage, but sometimes it's tough to humble ourselves and make that happen. Wives, let me give you a few practical ways to respect your husband. Praise him in public. Praise him in front of his peers. Treat him the way you would want to be treated. Minister to his needs the way you would hope he would minister to yours. Write him a personal letter and mail it to him so he gets it at the office or his place of work. Send him an email or text out of the blue. Just show interest in his world. It'll make a difference. Let's go to husbands. Husbands, let me unpack this area of love that Paul talks about the best I can. Ephesians 5, 25. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Underline, highlight those two words, just as, just as. Perspective switch number one, guys, for you. Dedication, not dominance. All the guys say that with me. Dedication, not dominance. It's very interesting that Paul tells the husband to love his wife, but notice he doesn't tell the wife to love her husband. Why is that? Well, because women are naturally wired to show love. They're very affectionate. That's how God's put them together. And so showing love is a gift that they have. Where we as guys, Paul's saying, you know, show her love. We say, well, you know, she knows I love her. If it ever changes, I'll let her know, right? That's how we're, many of us are wired up. But Paul's saying, show her you love her. Tell her you love her. Talk to her, comfort her, hold her. Let her know over and over again that she is loved and cherished. Christ-like spiritual leadership within the home is driven by love, driven by deep devotion, and looking out for the other's interests over our own. It's shown in the next verses, verses 25 through 27. Paul goes on, husbands, love your wife, there it is, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. While God's word is conveying the intent for a man is to be a spiritual leader within the marriage. It's accompanied with the expectation that the husband should love his wife just like Jesus loved the church. Countless studies have shown that man's greatest need is respect. A man's greatest need is to be respected, while a woman's greatest need is to be loved. Studies all over the place. But God is so amazing that he knew that. He knew how he created us. He knew how he wired us up. And so God in his word says, wives, respect your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Dr. Emerson Egrets wrote a superb book on Ephesians 5 about husbands and wives. It's entitled Love and Respect. And he points out what most men don't realize If a husband is commanded to have, he writes, an unconditional love for his wife, then evidently she truly needs love. In fact, she needs love like she needs air to breathe. Picture, if you would, a wife having an air hose that goes directly to a love tank, he writes. And then her husband bounds in to the room and starts prancing around like a 10-point buck looking for some place to graze. He steps on her air hose. That doesn't make her a happy camper. In fact, if she can find a baseball bat or some other type of weapon, she might as well whack him on the head and tell him, get off my air hose, I can't breathe. Simply put, when her deepest need is being stepped on, you can expect her to react negatively. 
Guys, when we see the spirit of our wife deflate, chances are we're stepping on that love air hose and we're choking it out of her. She's crying out, I don't feel loved right now. I can't believe you're doing this to me right now. And she'll let you know. But Eckrix goes on to point out the husband needs respect, just like he needs air to breathe. And when the wife steps on his air hose, the respect deflates. As long as the air is coming through both air hoses, everything is just fine. And thus Paul writes, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. One more. Perspective switch number two, think sacrifice, not selfishness. Think sacrifice, not selfishness. Let me read how the message paraphrases Ephesians 21 through 30. And I use this passage and this paraphrase within my marriage ceremonies that I perform. It says this, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that you show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So, just as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to their husbands. But guys, listen to this. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wife, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. And then I add, a love that is marked by a cross. A love that is marked by death on a cross. Guys, Paul's saying that you must be willing to lay down your life for the woman whom you said, I do too. While her love is to be submissive, your love is to be sacrificial, which costs more. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. As I was standing over here, knowing what this message was and having gone over it and over it and over it, I saw Mary and Nick sitting here. Um, and most of you were here last week, heard Mary's testimony as she was on the stage and saying, but what isn't, and I know Mary won't care that I'm going to say this, what isn't seen is what Nick has done. Uh, wow. All the way from the first day that I met him, Brenda and I met him in Cleveland Clinic way back when the whole cancer and tumor things started. Uh, Nick was there giving confidence, giving love, giving support to a few weeks ago when I met him at Cleveland Clinic. And here they come around, and right there's Nick. Uh, and he, uh, Nick, I got to say, you are an example and a testimony to all of us guys 
of in sickness or in health to love and to cherish until death do we part. Uh, and so I, I just want us to encourage Nick uh, for that. That's, uh, that's just awesome uh, what, what, how God has used you. And you're a testimony to what we're talking about right here. Uh, you really are. Um, to sacrifice God's means, guys means we lay down our possessions, lay down our titles, lay down our pursuits, all for our wives, not because she deserves it, although she might, not because she's earned it, but because we love her. And you, you don't demand her submission. If you try to gain obedience and respect of someone by putting them on a leash, that's not marriage, that's called parenting. Marriage is to be different. It's realizing that you are sold out sacrificially to this woman and you would do anything in the world within God's limits to communicate your love to her, no matter what. And let me close with this. If you're in a marriage right now and it's struggling, as many, many marriages are and have, I believe God has the power to restore and rekindle any marriage. I really do. How do I say that? Well, you and I, we worship a God who took a stick and parted the Red Sea. We worship a God who took a pebble and laid out a giant flat. We worship a God who spoke the word and calmed the raging sea. And if he can do all those things and so much more, what makes us think that he can't radically, radically change and save our marriages if we just trust him and make the necessary switches to allow him to move? Hear me when I say this. God is more concerned with your direction than he is with your perfection. That goes in our marriage and that goes in our personal lives. God is more concerned with your direction than he is your perfection. God has set up the structure by which a husband and wife can both have their greatest needs fulfilled by their spouse. But here's the problem. We cannot expect our spouse to fulfill our every need. We just can't ex expect that. There's no spouse that can fulfill all the needs of the other. I can't fulfill all of Brenna's emotional, relational, physical, and spiritual needs. I can't do that. I fall short in many areas. And I've got the best wife in the world. But here's the point. Even in light of that, I can't put all of my hope in her to meet all of my needs. That's why we go all the way back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the Holy Spirit's role, to fill in the gaps within our marriage and meet the deepest of needs in our marriage that our spouse can never meet. The Holy Spirit holds the answer, not only for marriage, but for life, but for life. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, although sometimes it makes us bristle, sometimes, God, we can't understand all the meaning, uh, and it totally goes against, God, the patterns of this world that we live in. 
God, we know that as believers, we are taught to stand on your word and live it out as tough as it might be. God, I thank you for everyone here in this room, God, the marriages that are represented and the marriages yet to come, God, that are here. God, may we strive to love each other, encourage each other, and God, meet each other's needs. But God, ultimately, when we realize continually that it's only by your spirit, the power of your spirit, that we can thrive and move forward in this life. Not for our glory, God, but for your glory. So God, I pray for a continuing and power of your Holy Spirit on everyone in this building right now. Help us to lean on you more. God, when we lean on you more, it'll make us stronger than we've ever been before. So God, we yield to you and we ask you to continue to fill us up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.